I'm okay breaking up with it. Breaking, it could be with a career, an identity, a belief, anything. We are here today with Calvin Cooper. Calvin Cooper is the co-founder and CEO of Rove, a fintech company founded on the belief that everyone has the right to invest in their home. The Rove app provides loyalty rewards to renters that expand access and opportunity for people to own in their community. Prior to founding Rove, Calvin was director of venture and venture partner at an early stage venture capital firm located in the Midwest. Calvin is active in community and entrepreneur support organizations. He serves on the NASDAQ Entrepreneurial Center, YEX Advisory Board, and the Columbus Music Commission Board of Directors. In 2017, the Columbus City Council and the Crete Columbus Commission recognized Calvin with the Visionary Award, and he was also listed in the 40 Under 40 Class of 2017 by Columbus Business First. He earned a Bachelor of Arts degree from Capital University in Financial Economics, and Calvin uh, has become a friend and we've done some work together and it's awesome to have you here. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Pretty surreal. You know, the first time we met was the first week of March, two years ago. Okay. So this is pretty good timing. So, so when, now when you say that, because I, I had something else pop into my mind as <laughs> the first time we met, but when do you, are you saying our first meeting on what would become Rose? Yeah. Yeah. yeah our yeah. first meeting on yeah. what would become Rose. When I set Set in your office and kind of changed my life. Yeah, yeah. So there was a meeting that happened, I think, where I first met you, which was um, related to something I can't quite think. Do you remember? We were all together. There was like a group of people that were pulled together. It's over at the Idea Foundry. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I can't remember okay. exactly what the initiative was, mm-hmm. but the reason I bring it up is because I remember being impressed with you then. I was like, who is this guy? Uh, you were talking a lot about Silicon Valley and venture and and um, a world that I wasn't really that familiar with, but you were, you know, really obviously knew your shit. And I was impressed with you then. Um, but there was some time that I think uh, passed before that, and then um, our first uh, Rove meeting. So, yeah. so yeah, it is a bit surreal. <laughs> Lots happened in the last mm-hmm. two years. And I'm really excited for you. I think it's awesome as we were just starting to chat before we got on the air here, uh, how much progress has been made. And and I still think there's as great of a job you guys are doing publicly in, in kind of sharing who Rove is. There's probably still not um, as much awareness around the the company yet yeah. for for you know I think what it's about to become so mm-hmm. I want to have you share uh, all about Rove but uh, as you know you know on on the podcast we've been trying to really paint the full picture for people allow people to really understand kind of what your journey was like to get to this point and you've got a really great story um, you know kind of you know coming from the venture side and getting onto the other side of uh, the uh, entrepreneurial world. Uh, and and I think that's a really powerful story, but I want to go all the way back and and have people kind of hear what it was like for you uh, in your life and, and getting mm. to kind of the, the point you were um, entering into the, to the workforce. You know, tell, tell us a little bit about kind of <laughs> Calvin's uh, childhood. 
Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. This is really a special podcast. Um, I've had the opportunity to listen to some of your previous guests. And so um, uh, I've been truly inspired by their stories and came prepared to um, and with gratitude to be able to share mine. So if I think about my early childhood memories, um, a picture comes to mind. I'm sitting um, cross-legged, my hands folded, and there's this real serious look on my face. And I'm like three years old. I had this really stern look. And that look really kind of sums up what was going on in my mind as a kid growing up. I was very serious. I had a plan. Um, I was really trying to escape my current situation by embracing math and music and side projects that I'd work on. I'd, I'd throw myself into those things to make sense out of what felt like a very chaotic world. Mm-hmm. Um, what was it that you were kind of escaping or what was chaotic to you at, at this point in, in your early life? Uh, my, fam- my, my parents got divorced early on. Um, uh, my mom got remarried. He was you were big. how old when, when that happened? I was like two. Mm-hmm. Um, and Real young. Yeah. yeah, so I remember them arguing. It's like some of my first memories mm-hmm. and... Uh, my my next stepdad was really bad. He was abusive mm-hmm. to my mom. And so I had to have a plan um, mm-hmm. on how to get out of that situation at four. Mm. Um, and um, that reality didn't align with the story and identity that my mom told me about our family history. Mm. And so a lot of my childhood was trying to reconcile where we were in the world with where we should be. Mm-hmm. Let me just kind of back up. So you're you're four years old, and you're coming up with a plan. Mm-hmm. And, and you do you remember kind of like what that was like, like the the idea of like having a plan for the to navigate your situation. Yeah, yeah. Tell mm-hmm. me about that. Yeah, I mean, I'd I'd have a if something bad was going on, I I had a plan. I yeah. was forward, call my grandma, collect. And- uh huh. Tell her what the plan was and uh-huh. how we're going to get away and yeah. what's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, yes. That's kind of where I go to. If things aren't going well, it's like I've, I've got to have a plan. Yeah. I think about what's the worst case scenario. Mm-hmm. How do you respond to that? Mm-hmm. And and then spread that and talk to other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's an interesting thing because you know, four-year-olds aren't supposed to have to have plans, right? <laughs> They're not supposed yeah. to have to do that kind of stuff, right? That, mm-hmm. it, it feels you know, kind of unfair. However, you know, what I'm hearing you say is that it, it, are you are you able to kind of look back on that in some way and, and see that like it's actually served you, that it's like a thing that you now know how to do that you've been doing your whole life? Yeah, it's interesting because when, when I have problems as an adult, I mean, I think about you're that four-year-old kid who had a plan. Sometimes mm-hmm. my grandmother reminds me mm-hmm. that she's mm-hmm. 81, turns mm-hmm. 82 this year. And or she turned eighty one this year, and she she sometimes will remind me like you were the four, you were the four year old who called me collect mm-hmm. yeah. with a plan yeah so and and I'm wondering like do you think that's just kind of like what's your belief on on kind of all of that like is it is it kind of how you were born were you was it a product of your environment is it both uh, probably all of the above both yeah. I'm really fortunate I also had a just a family history that served me well. Mm-hmm. And that story is something that inspired me at that age. Mm-hmm. You so, see, you mentioned, you, you know, your mom had this, this story that she told you about the family history and mm-hmm. then your kind of life was, was feeling like something different. 
tell me about kind of like what was the history and and how did you reconcile those two things? Yeah, I just felt like I should have been born into something better. So my mom, when she was a teenager, she worked in the skating rink that her um, grandparents owned. Did and, you grow up in Columbus? Uh, I grew up in Columbus, yeah. but I was born in Dayton. Okay. So the skating rinks were, were in Dayton. Uh-huh. Um, and so she grew up We're talking about roller skating? Roller skating. Roller skating, yeah. right. Yeah. And so there's like it's a long cool family history for yeah. us, like uh, both sides of my family, my mom's side and my dad's side. Mm-hmm. And so my mom grew up um, serving drinks in the skating rink and her uncle owned Mayo Industries, had hundreds of employees manufacturing car parts for GM. Before that, they they manufactured like screws and before that packaging. Um, and before that, they had three skating rinks. Hmm. And um, so we know our family history, maybe for about 200 years on both sides of my family. Wow. And um, that is what served me well. So I was mm-hmm. a kid and I thought, man, I should have been born into this family that owned factories and real estate mm-hmm. and, ro- and skating rinks and um, I should be serving soda, not mm-hmm. thinking about plants, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that that was my purpose, to get back there. That was my identity. It wasn't my current situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. So so what was the plan? I mean, like, you know, and, and I'm kind of curious, like, well, the age four, you're starting to come up with plans and and then, you know, you're you're going through grade school you, you kind of mentioned like the distractions or the things that you would start to pour yourself into. Was that the plan is, is to kind of find ways to reconcile this, this history with your current life? Yeah. One of them, like as, as you kind of fast forward, it's, it's like taking your next best step. Like mm-hmm. what's in front of you doing that in the best way. Mm-hmm. And so in, in grade school, that was just being good at math. And um, and playing the piano, and I was fortunate that my mom would scrounge up whatever money she could to invest in our creativity. Mm-hmm. And um, so I took piano lessons, played trumpet, I played violin in middle school, um, and did that um, most of most of my childhood, as well as played some sports, basketball, football, mm-hmm. um, and then math. Um, so for all the for all the hating that goes on on public schools, I'm a big fan. Columbus mm-hmm. Public Schools served me well mm-hmm. um, when I was when I was um, maxing out on the the available information in the classes in middle school. They gave me a separate tutor. One of the the uh, teachers um, tutored me after class, and so I was able to skip two years ahead in math and then tutor kids. Um, some kids at school as well, mm-hmm. and so I I poured myself into that. And were these things that you were passionate about? Were they things that you were finding yourself excelling in? And so continuing to kind of identify with them, um, things that your mother, you know, was, you know, tell me a little bit about kind of where the, was it more like it was just kind of falling into your lap and you were going with it? Or were you kind of still being thoughtful about how you were kind of executing a plan? Yeah, it doesn't fall in your lap. You know, it's um, it's hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you're young, they have these things called gifted and talented programs, which I always thought was odd. It wasn't like a gift, in my opinion. It was a lot of hard work, mm-hmm. intentional, and going in, in the direction. I think everybody has gifts, if you want to call it that. But manifesting that 
takes a lot of hard work. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of research written about this. Outliers comes to mind. Malcolm mm-hmm. Gladwell, mm-hmm. 10,000 hours. Mm-hmm. I just put in a lot of time mm-hmm. on math mm-hmm. and a lot of time into music. And, and But was there passion there too? I mean, were these things that you, you were feeling energized by when oh, yeah. there was like the chaos back home? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. There was some energy there, um, and and it was. I think it was what I was supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think um, it it was fun. It was distracting. You get in the flow, mm-hmm. um, and it, it feeds it feeds your identity. If mm-hmm. you if you once you do something and you're better than you were yesterday, then the next week you're better than you were the week before that. Mm-hmm. Th- that you can control, right? You can't control everything in your life. But you can make yourself better than you were yesterday. Mm-hmm. And that, that for me, was very motivating and inspiring. Mm-hmm. So, so even at that age, that was part of the motivation was that you just wanted to get better every day. You mm-hmm. wanted to kind of keep excelling. And you knew that you had to work hard to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and where was your your father? I, you know, mm-hmm. uh, did your mother stay in that relationship? Kind of, what was the what was the male influence in your life like? My dad, um, he moved to Virginia. He was a professor when I was young, and then he got into photography, followed his passions, uh, was laid off after nine eleven. Really struggled, then didn't really turn that business into success, but what my dad did invest a lot of knowledge into me. Mm. Um, so I'd visit every year or so over the summer, my brother and I, Richie, and would stay with him. And I remember one time he moved back in with our grandma and his room would be full of books stacked mm. all in the room. Mm-hmm. And he'd say, hey, come over, like read this passage from Nietzsche, mm-hmm. a philosopher, read this. Mm-hmm. He'd have a picture of Karl Marx on his wall, mm-hmm. you know, as, as young as I can remember. And, and, and so I was exposed to philosophy at a very young age. And there was this, uh, this very, um, very different, I was exposed to very radically different perspectives. My mom was very religious, Mm. uh, Pentecostal Christian, and my dad was an atheist philosopher. Mm. And, and so I got exposed. (laughs) (laughs) So I got exposed, yeah, very different worldviews, but I was fortunate in that I was exposed to those different worldviews very yeah. young. Yeah. Um, and that causes a lot of cognitive dissonance and, mm-hmm. and a need to search. Yeah. You know, I think that would be environmental. A lot of people may have more stability and certainty around here's the worldview we have in this family, in this community. Right. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have that. Mm-hmm. It was very different worldviews. So when those worldviews were kind of, Showing up, I, I'm curious. Were they were they just kind of living their lives based on their view of the world? You know, you mentioned your dad was kind of, "Hey, come over here, read this passage." How did those two views influence you? Were, were there was there pressure to kind of go down a, a path, or were you left to kind of figure out what was right for you? I was left to figure out what was right for me for the most part. Mm -hmm. But my parents were very um, into their views. So Mm -hmm. my mom, she read to us growing (laughs) up. One of the things she read to us was the Bible. Mm -hmm. And my dad read to us growing up and he'd read Friedrich Nietzsche. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I got exposure to to all those things. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so as you're kind of, you know, growing up and getting into high school and, and, and college, you start to kind of form your own views. Yeah. That was, 
that was part of my journey in college was yeah. really searching and starting to like try to understand which views were inherited yeah and rebuild my self-identity and worldview from the ground up mm. interesting and and you're studying finance in college but um you know it sounds like there's like a, a pretty heavy kind of philosophical worldview yeah. kind of part of you oh yeah that that you also were I'm assuming kind of grappling with yeah so I was I actually started out in classical economics uh, which is more philosophical mm-hmm. right? Um, and then I added finance at the end of my last year. Um, and I took a lot of philosophy courses in college instead of random, just random courses that were easy. I gravitated towards philosophy and religion courses. So I have a minor in religion, mm-hmm. but most of the classes were philosophy classes. Interesting. And and was that was that ever something that you felt like you wanted to explore more, that that was like maybe something you would do with your life? Or was it always just a kind of curiosity? You know, I mean, to kind of ha- take it that far in school, was, mm-hmm. there, was there ever an intrigue and, in, you know, how else that might kind of come into your life? My dad was a philosophy professor. I never wanted to be a philosophy professor, but mm-hmm. I do take it into my life. Like, I, I, I view finances like art with money. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it is philosophy if you're creating something new. like mm-hmm. So I, I do take that into my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an interesting thing because, you know, I kind of believe that we're all born to be in creation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is my philosophy, right? Mm-hmm. That, that you know, I think we're all kind of coming from the same one, you know, universe, divine kind of, you know, energy. God is what I call it. Um, and that's that. That's a part of all of us. That's kind of who we are, really, at our essence. Mm-hmm. And and with that comes creation, to really be able to create. Now, people often kind of confuse creation with art, mm-hmm. right? In reality, you could just be creating kind of how you view the world every day. You could be creating your own thoughts, your own experiences, mm-hmm. or companies, you know, financial solutions. It could yeah. be. You could be constantly creating in an infinite amount of ways, and mm-hmm. yeah, that's kind of what I hear when you when you say you know, kind of the philosophy piece, the creation piece, absolutely, um, art and economics. Yeah, yeah, it's like art with money. It's it's mm-hmm. incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is kind of interesting to think about it from that perspective as a as a kind of a, a way to paint, a way to create, a way to... Mm-hmm. Um, so, but let, let's back up a little bit before we kind of get too much into kind of where you go from college and, and into the professional world. Mm-hmm. Your, your, your childhood, as you described it, any other kind of like important kind of shaping moments or discoveries that kind of have you like, you know, starting to understand who you are in the world? Yeah, I mean, a lot of it is related to, I guess, I mean, it, a lot of it is my family story and mm-hmm. creation. Mm-hmm. It's it's a self-confidence that you can solve a problem or do a thing or have an opinion, right? Um, and that came from my, my story, my grandmother, my dad, my mom, and those stories shaped me. I think about them a lot. Mm-hmm. And um, when I was a kid, I didn't really, I don't really gravitate towards like, here's my idea. I got to make this thing happen. Mm -hmm. It's usually the universe is 
bringing this this adjacent reality into my peripheral vision. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm just moving in that direction. Mm -hmm. And I guess, you know, one example might be like, um, so my mom would have this multiplier effect, for instance, when I was a kid, instead of getting an allowance, we had to do something to make a little bit of money. She'd add to it. So we'd get a paper route. Mm-hmm. And then she'd add to the paper route money to make it meaningful so we could buy stuff. Mm-hmm. So uh, I end up with a little bit more money than some of my friends. And I'm able to like upgrade our computer. I was like the nerd who was like taking the computer apart, plugging stuff in. And I plugged in a CD burner. <laughs> and why? Just because I wanted to. And I'm exploring the internet. <laughs> and which I got in trouble for once like when <laughs> hooking it up. Um, that's another story. It's pretty funny though. <laughs> it shaped my worldview. But um, I, I um, started downloading music and burning CDs. So I'm on the school bus in middle school, listening to music. And if you remember those portfolios with all the sure. the, the the folders you can yep. slide discs into. Oh yeah, I had a bunch of them. Yeah. DMX, all kinds of stuff. And um, friends are like, "Oh, can I buy your CD?" I'm like, "No, it's mine." They're like. Well, I'll pay you five dollars if you give me that CD, and I'm uh, like, okay, yeah, that's an opportunity, yeah. right? So yeah. then I just start doing that, mm-hmm. um, and you just lean into it. And now you're selling CDs, you're solving yeah. a problem. Yeah. So a lot of how I approach life today is from that perspective of the there will be a problem that presents itself if you lean into your curiosities mm-hmm. and you just meet your own needs and things that inspire you and bring you energy. Like at the time for me, it was music mm-hmm. and computers. And I leaned into that and somebody had a problem I could solve. Mm. Yeah. It's a really powerful thing to learn at a, at a young age that problem solving can really be business, mm-hmm. right? You know, uh, I was just actually having this conversation on a previous episode where mm-hmm. uh, Dan Sullivan from Strategic Coach he he always says, you know, why pe- people like me actually don't like to watch the news. I, I don't like watching the news. Oh yeah, I only watch it once a week. It's it's I gotta you know filled it. with all kinds of stuff that mm-hmm. just feels kind of toxic and sad. And and he says he says you're missing out. You're really missing out because where all the problems are, which is everything yeah. that the news is, yeah. there's just filled with solutions. Yeah. He, he watches the news because he's getting all of his next great ideas for huh. what he wants to do right there, you know, spoon fed to you. And, and I still don't watch it, but um, <laughs> yeah. I, I think that, you know, these are the, these are really important lessons and, you know, have served you well. And I know we'll talk about that as it pertains to Rove. But um, let's let's kind of keep going through your journey here. So you're in college, you're learning to uh, kind of decide what you believe about the world, and you land on on something in in college that's kind of your belief system. Is that fair, or is that you know something that continues to evolve? Yeah, it continues to evolve. You yeah, know? I, I believe in reason and philosophy. It's a continual journey. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't say I landed on my worldview. I mean, I guess the only absolute that I believe in is that there are no absolutes, really. Mm -hmm. But I will say that I radically, my my worldview radically changed in college. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was fortunate to have a lot of ups and downs and great experiences that that have served me well. Mm -hmm. 
And and so kind of the the radical worldview shift is really based on kind of your studies or, you know, is it also the kind of life experience that you're having at that point? Um, life experiences at that point. Mm-hmm. And there were several phases packed into that four yeah. years. Tell me more um, about the life experience part of that. Oh, yeah. So like, like I'm always focused on the next thing that's right in front of me, right? Yeah. So I'm trying to get good grades at first and also trying to have fun. Like I, I really started to find a great friend group my freshman year. Some mm-hmm. people who are still friends today and joined a frat, Alpha Phi Alpha. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is the first historically black Greek fraternity mm-hmm. uh, or college fraternity. Uh, I became chapter president. So I'm all immersed into the fraternity and I'm, it, beca- it consumes my life. They call it. And we're, we're doing things like a March of Dimes programs, raising money for nonprofits and, and things like that. And I'm at some leadership luncheon and I meet state Senator Ray Miller. Mm-hmm. And that that was an interesting turning point for me because I would say that would be like my first uh, professional mentor. Mm-hmm. And um, he gets off stage uh, after giving um, a speech and something just speaks to me. You know, I, I'm like, I got to just shake his hand. And I get up and I kind of like sneak out the back and try to time it so I meet him right when he's leaving. I shake his hand and I say, hi, my name's Calvin. You said you live in Bexley. I go to Capitol. It's right around the corner. Here's my business card. Can we do lunch sometime? He looked at me like, what? <laughs> my business card had my name uh-huh. and my Capitol address <laughs> on it. There's no business. Right. I don't even remember. I think I had a business card because of all the student activities. I was going to say, like, even the fact that you had a business card. <laughs> it was kind of ridiculous. Yeah. And he's like, he looks at it. He looks at me and he's like, here's my card. My name's Ray Miller and I have a job for you. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what's the job? Mm-hmm. He said, it's a page position. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm like, what's a page do? He's like, in my office, everything. At the time, he was the minority leader of the Senate. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had been, he's, you know, he was here, he was in the state house before there was term limits. So he was there for decades. Mm-hmm. And old school senator, lots of experience, incredible. And um, he's like, oh, in my office, you get to do a little bit of everything. There's no real titles. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll turn and need something. Mm-hmm. You don't have to do it. And he just offered you the job on the spot. And I said, I have to think about it. And he looked at me like, what? <laughs> he said, all right, well, just let me know. And I had to think about it because yeah. I don't like signing up for things I'm not going to pour myself all the way into. Yeah. So I called my mom that, that evening. She's like, what are you talking about? Uh-huh. You had to think about yeah. it. Yeah. That's and funny. I was like, yeah. I had to check my calendar, make sure my class schedule lines up. I don't have a car. I got to see yeah. if I can get there. If I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it all the way, right? Yeah. And so I, call, I called him back. Um, and he said, all right, come in and interview. So I mm-hmm. showed up for the interview. He's not even in the office. Mm-hmm. So his staff is all confused. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. they call his cell phone. They're like, we got this kid, Calvin, says he's here for an interview. And he just mm-hmm. says, oh, yeah, he's got the job. Just tell him to go down. <laughs> get his paperwork done. <laughs> yeah, but that was a turning point in my life because I, I got exposed to a lot of incredible stories and, and, and learnings and an opportunity to, to grow professionally. He really challenged me. And what a, what a pretty amazing thing. I mean, to kind of think back on it. I mean, you know, on the spot gives you a job and really 
impacts you in a pretty significant way. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's just kind of, you know, offering you a job on the spot, doesn't know you. He saw something in you, obviously. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, he's not just offering yeah. jobs to anybody. Maybe it was just that you wanted to go to lunch with him <laughs> and that was enough. But have you kind of talked about that with him as time goes on? Yeah, he brought it. One time we were talking about it like a year or so after I started. And he's like, you know, I just thought that who's this kid (laughs) who has this confidence to walk up to a state Mm -hmm. senator, shake my hand like a colleague and Mm -hmm. say, can we do lunch? Mm -hmm. So that I think is special, especially among minorities. Mm -hmm. Um, Usually don't have that confidence. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to work with you. Yeah. Yeah, it's really, I think it does say something. I actually think he's recognizing something that is really real and maybe even kind of is part of just naturally who you are and maybe it's part of the environment you grew up in. But there's some sort of like maturity, there's an ambition, there's a kind of, you know, you you say you don't like the gifted thing because you got to work hard. Well, I would say maybe it's both. Um, and this is just my kind of you know opinion of you, and and I don't think it's that you're being humble. I think you actually believe that, but it isn't something that everybody has. There is a little bit of like a an X factor kind of thing that you know seems to be part of who you are that is unique in the world that isn't something everybody has. I mean, do you feel that way at all? I appreciate that. But I disagree. I just yeah. don't feel special in that way. Mm-hmm. And um, I'll tell a story that illustrates it. My mm-hmm. younger brother, Richie's like a year younger than me. Mm-hmm. And growing up, he always had bad grades. Mm-hmm. And he always would say, oh, you're just so smart, Calvin. And I'm like, no, you got to put in the time. And it builds on itself. And you've got to gravitate towards things that inspire you. You can't compare yourself to me or other people. If you focus that energy inward, that will radiate out. Mm-hmm. So if there's anything special, it's just that point of view, I guess. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it took him a while to see that. Yeah. And he did come to that point, that worldview one mm-hmm. day. And it was after he was, and I don't want to tell too much of his story, mm-hmm. but uh, he was struggling, mm-hmm. uh, falling, dropping out of community college. Mm-hmm. But then he's now in a master's program in, in statistics. Mm-hmm. And and the turning point for him was something clicked one day where it's like, oh, it it is about embracing your unique gifts mm-hmm. and leaning into that and working hard yeah. every day. And there's a compound advantage that happens when you when you invest in that. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people never realize that they have that too. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. And I and I I know that's true for you and in your beliefs and and I think there's a lot of truth to that just in general. It's kind of like my belief around everybody being a creator. You know, it's mm-hmm. it, it, I do think that we all do have this ability to succeed and to create and to have, you know, outcomes, whatever they are that that we want. It's just sometimes, you know it's a tough thing to understand, to embody, to really, mm-hmm. you know, come to to know and not just intellectually know it, but like know it in a way yeah. that has you do the work. And yeah. and that's hard, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and maybe that's where it gets a little uh, kind of tangled up is like, because those that actually do it and yeah. know and get it yeah. and, and it becomes who it's, they it's are, rare. 
And then, so that's kind of what feels like this like X factor thing. And to your point, I'll agree, I'll agree with you on this. You got to be self-aware. Like yeah. my X factor didn't align with music production, for instance. Yeah. Like, so if I lean into the things that it was the universe CDs, was telling me. but not producing music. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. Because that slinging CDs turned into a business in yeah. college. Right. Yeah. It, I, that, I carried that forward. Yeah. Um, it, it brought me on a, a whole interesting journey to Atlanta. And, and, um, and if I would have kept with that journey, yeah. you wouldn't have said that yeah. about my X Factor because uh-huh. it wasn't there for me. It wasn't really space. the thing for you. Yeah. Right. So if you lean into the place where you are supposed to be, then you'll realize that. Well, well and so where does, where does the courage, the confidence, the, the, the belief to kind of really keep leaning into this, this authentic you? You know, how, how, where does that come from? I mean, you had other options. Hmm. You, you know, you could have gone to Atlanta. You could have gone down a different path. It doesn't feel like you. And you, you have the courage to kind of say, that's not it. It's over here. And I'm going that way. Yeah. Um, I think it comes out of, uh, it probably comes out of, that's a good question. So I think it comes out of my parents. Uh, they've, all, they've both been divorced several times. Mm-hmm. and. Um, I remember as a kid when things weren't going well, saw this friction and arguing and the divorce just needed to happen. Mm-hmm. And when they made that hard decision and parted ways, everything got better for us mm. and them. And I came to this worldview, I think early on as a kid, and you know, it might manifest itself in positive and negative ways, right? Commitment issues. But you could say too often people hold on to what's not working and um, have a negative uh, belief about the unknown and that ch- the break up, mm-hmm. uh, the breaking up mm-hmm. of an identity, of something you've invested into, mm-hmm. how it impacts others. But I came to the belief that that's actually positive. It's mm-hmm. like when, I, when people tell me that they're, they're, they're breaking up or something, mm-hmm. I say, congratulations, because mm-hmm. that means something wasn't right. Right. And now they have the opportunity to go into what is. And so I think the, that worldview, that kind of that experience shaped me. And yeah. so when things don't work, I'm okay breaking up. With yeah. It. Breaking, it could be with a career, an mm-hmm. identity, a belief, anything. Yeah. And I'm, I'm curious now kind of to pivot a little bit into some of your professional life and kind of, how that very skill, that, that, that skill, that, that very thing that you just described, this comfort with, with, you know, the discomfort, the moving through, you know, what's out of alignment and, and in towards something else, how that's really served you in the business world, especially, I don't, did you go directly into venture out of college? Um, no, no, I didn't. What was your, well, let's, let's talk about that. What was your kind of path out of college and into your early part of your career? So, um, I'd say kind of the, the path to venture really started when I was in Atlanta. So I dropped out of school because mm-hmm. I started a company in college. It was a marketing and entertainment business, also solving problems. And it turned into something. It was like, we just started throwing parties. People would show up. Mm-hmm. I had an algorithm, didn't know it was called an algorithm, but well, very light analytics, but I'd say, okay, I knew how many impressions we needed 
across different marketing channels for how that translated to people showing up at an event and paying us. Mm-hmm. So I'd run that formula and make money every weekend, mm-hmm. turned that into a business and then moved to Atlanta to turn that. And I wanted to grow that into a music production company. I had a co-founder mm-hmm. who I knew from high school who owned a studio in Columbus and moved to Atlanta to do that. And long story short is like, this is my co-founder in that business, Triple B Productions. PC and I had a co-founder in my my marketing and event planning business, Marlon. When I moved to Atlanta after I dropped out of school and things didn't work out, within three months I could tell this wasn't gonna work out. The mm-hmm. the the it wasn't the right time, it wasn't the right market. Um, I didn't have the right skills yet. I'd have to invest a lot of time into that, didn't have enough money. Mm-hmm. I was basically homeless. Um, I didn't have a bed to call my own. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people, I think, you know, there's this voice in your head that says, okay, what are your co-founders going to do? What are these other people going to do? What are you going to do? And very instantly, it's like, it's just like, once I know it's not going to work um, and it's like you're pushing a boulder uphill, it's like, okay, you need to just stop mm-hmm. and just pivot, pivot in the, the next thing. And look to the universe to tell you what that is. And that's, this, that's really how I learned about venture. I basically quit music after all these years of, of loving music and starting a music production company. And, and, I, I wouldn't, and it's not like I produced any hits or anything, but I, you know, local bands and rappers would pay me. And that's how I paid for different things like prom and, mm-hmm. and things like that. And so it was part of my identity. It's part of part of my tribe, and and I didn't know what would be next. I found myself as a college dropout, and that didn't resonate with my identity. I'm mm-hmm. like, wow, I've always had good grades, mm-hmm. and here I am, lost in Atlanta. And so I just turned to the universe. Uh, okay, what am I going to do with my life? And so I wrote down a list. Of, Here's what I enjoyed about my current experiences. I liked raising money, pitching, motivating a team. But I'm also very analytical and introverted. I like to sit behind a screen and dive deep into data and research. And I wanted exposure to technology in multiple different sectors. I didn't know what you call that. Like what would allow me to like do deep research? I loved writing papers in college. Mm-hmm. I loved it. And I still write papers and publish them. And um, I was like, well, how, how could I turn that into a job? How do you reconcile those things? Like business and finance and technology. And I'm going to just write it down and ask the universe to bring me my next move. But my next best step is to get a job. Mm -hmm. So I got a job at Apple. Mm. Just just out of curiosity, when you say you turn to the universe, um, and then you you describe kind of writing down, asking questions. Can you just kind of help me understand a little bit where kind of you let the universe into that? Is it, is it just kind of what's coming out of you? Because, you know, some people say they turn to the universe and that can be in meditation or prayer or in silence. You know, you, you, you're doing that like in action, writing. Kind of tell me how you see like the universe's role in the active part of figuring out what you were doing. Yeah, so I, I think that's a good way to describe it. I view it as active. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, it's like a river, right? We're all in this river together. Mm-hmm. And if you're going with the flow, you can feel that you're heading with the river. Mm-hmm. But even if you're going with the flow, there's, it's like more like a jungle. Mm-hmm. Like there's like 
piranhas. There's like um, <laughs> rocks and this mm-hmm. white water. It's like there's waterfalls, mm-hmm. but you know if you're hitting mm-hmm. with the river, right? But once you start feeling like you're swimming sideways now, mm-hmm. and you're, so now you're fighting the river and mm-hmm. all these other variables, you know, you got to say, where's the river going? Mm-hmm. And my, my process is usually to write down how I feel and what I want, kind of envision a day in the life. I don't like to put labels on it because when you put labels on what you want to do, you you often don't, we don't know enough about the world to know what will manifest the reality. It's better mm-hmm. to think about the day-to-day and your actual experience mm-hmm. and not what you call that experience. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of an open process. So yeah. It's open-minded to what new information I would get. So the river takes you to Apple. Yeah, I get a job at Apple Computers, activating uh-huh. iPhones and iPads. Uh-huh. And I could feel like, oh man, I should be graduating college, getting a good job. Here I am making like not more, much more than minimum wage. Mm-hmm. But I was like, man, this is awesome. Mm-hmm. I get to activate iPhones and iPads all day and get exposed mm-hmm. to all these business leaders and mm-hmm. people coming through this um, high traffic store. And in my mind at the time, this huge city, you know, mm-hmm. my Midwestern. Uh, perspective. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh man, this is great. And I'm going to ask them what they do with their lives. But why are they getting an iPhone? But then what do you do? How's your day to day? And I met a VC and he told me about his day to day and mm-hmm. what he worked on. I was like, that's what you call what I want to do. I'll mm-hmm. be a VC in five years. Mm-hmm. And that's, and then that. You told him that or that was in your head? I told him that and I yeah. wrote it down. I had a little notepad in my car, wrote that down yeah. and put it on my Google calendar. And yeah. Then I forget about it. After you you write it down, you can't like live in the label. Right. You got to just take care of your next best step. So it's like, I got to get back into school. I got to take a bunch of finance classes. I got to get exposure to entrepreneurs and figure out how I can add value to them. That's what I did. I got back back into school. school Yeah. Finished school. In Atlanta? No, I came back to Columbus, Uh finished out at Capitol, took a bunch of finance courses, Mm -hmm. had great mentors along the way. Dr. Uku would take me under his wing taught me how to do disciplined research. That was something I wanted to learn because I thought, wow, if I'm going to be a VC, I got to bring something to the table. And what am I good at? Good at writing and research. Mm-hmm. And it'd be great to find a mentor who can teach me how to do that at a world-class level. Mm-hmm. I found one where mm-hmm. he found me. And um, so I published research and then worked with Daryl at the Supplier Development Council and, and got it got the opportunity to work alongside him as he led the council, um, got exposure to boards and how they operate, and then also met hundreds of great entrepreneurs. And my job was to help them be successful. Mm-hmm. And along the way, I figured I found a problem. Mm-hmm. It's like, wow, there are these great entrepreneurs. And this is how I made my way into venture. I was like, we've got, we've got hundreds of entrepreneurs. They, they're, they run petroleum companies, paper companies, tens of millions of dollars. People think about minority-owned companies and they think it's like barbershops. Mm-hmm. Now, there are minority-owned companies that are substantial. Mm-hmm. And um, nobody had ever published our data in our database. So I was curious and published it um, with Daryl. And we started to investigate what are some of the challenges. And so I was very curious about that and found that there was this access to capital challenge. And there were great entrepreneurs. There was an opportunity that private equity managers were overlooking. So wanted to raise a fund and, and associate that with the council. Mm-hmm. And that's when I stumbled upon uh, 
a venture capital firm in town. Mm -hmm. And they said, well, why reinvent the wheel? Why don't you just join us? And so really, I was just leaning into the problem. Yeah. And um, followed it there. Yeah. And, and you know, what's, what's, I think, kind of an important thing just to highlight is that you, you action seems to be a theme and an important part of this kind of being in the river, right? So, you know, you go work at Apple in a time of, I don't know, right? I don't know what I'm going to do. And you go there with this positive attitude about what you're doing, not pissed or, you know, uh, wishing you were somewhere else. And you're open, you're in the river, right? Mm-hmm. You know that even if it's not the place you ultimately want to be, and then somebody shows up and, you know, my universe brings you yeah. guy who says VC and you go, oh, that's it. Google Calendar, back to school action, right? Mm-hmm. So you take this kind of, the Apple thing feels like almost like you're not in action, but it's like the really important action because mm-hmm. you're kind of letting the next thing show up, which is all you need to do. Yeah. And then when it shows up, you jump mm-hmm. and then you go do the hard work. And then mm-hmm. the next thing shows up. Yeah. Jump, hard work. Is mm-hmm. that kind of, you know, how it, how it goes for you? That's exactly it. Yeah. You wake up every day and focus on what is in front of you mm-hmm. and just do that to the best of your ability. Let me ask you this though. So, you know, you, you've kind of shared the minority component to some degree with me here, how that's, you know, kind of played out in your life. Mm-hmm. You know, you have the senator... Um, the fraternity, the mentor, right? And, and, and you know, but, but I'm curious kind of like as you get into venture, mm-hmm. what is that like? How, do, how does the minority part of who you are um, now playing out in the venture world? Yeah, so I mean, w- one thing, uh, so I, I, I got into venture first because I was on a journey trying to figure out how we could get capital into the portfolio companies we were working with. And uh, when I met uh, NTT, it was more like, okay, here's an opportunity in venture. Uh, But the timing was pretty tough because we were acquiring a council where Mm -hmm. I was at. So the timing doesn't always work out to where you want it to, but Mm -hmm. you just got to do what you got to do. And so uh, I just kind of did market landscapes and research and did did that work for free. and then. The, the fund was in between funds. So made a bet with the partners like, okay, I know there are, there are enough fees to carry my salary, but if I don't raise capital for the fund in nine months, just fire me. I'll raise funds to pay for me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you just focused on that, right? And then I get there and now I have an important opportunity to learn, but also a responsibility to give back. Mm-hmm. There, I mean, there's, there's less than 1% um, of VCs are, are minorities. Mm-hmm. And, and so how I carried that into the space was just one, publishing more research. Mm-hmm. Uh, we published something, a, a national study on access to capital mm-hmm. um, and started to volunteer and try to influence policy. And then also from that seat, invest in minority businesses. Mm-hmm. And there's just an important lesson I learned from Ray Miller um, to bring him up again. He said one time he came into his office and it's in the Senate, it's the nice office building, right? <laughs> and he leans back in his nice chair and I'm like 19. This is all impressive mm-hmm. to you, mahogany desk mm-hmm. and 
know, Marvel Snake's like, and he sits back and he's like, you know, Calvin, they ask how I can get stuff done here. I get stuff done that nobody can do when they're in the minority um, party. And it's really, you just got to like use the power in your seat. This seat Mm -hmm. has power, Calvin. Mm -hmm. That's what he said to me. He said, never forget this. Every seat you're in, every seat has some kind of power. Mm -hmm. Use it. A lot of times people are afraid that if they use the power in their seat, they will lose it. Mm. But you have a responsibility to use the power in your seat for good. Mm-hmm. Now, now, and so I did that at NCT, invested in <clears throat> some minority <throat> companies and mm-hmm. and other companies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we were we were kind of talking about this a little bit before we got on this this um, power being in in your case what what you know he's referring to is the power that you. Uh, have the potential to really leverage as a minority, correct? That and just any seat. Like, yeah. it's I don't usually approach my day just that, you know, it's my, it's like minority and. It's like, yeah. I'm a human first and being a minority is one aspect. It's one one piece of the world that, yeah. that I represent. But it wasn't the only focus I had. Yeah, know. so what we were kind of talking about, you know, before... And I agree with that, right? Like you're a human being, right? Mm. And then you're a venture capitalist and you're a minority, right? Mm. And, and what we were talking about a little bit before is um, how, you, how you organize that and, and how you do use it, you know? Because to me, it's like, well, 1%, that's pretty bad, right? Like that's not okay. Mm-hmm. And that's not reflective of minorities that's reflective of the rest of the world yeah right so you you have the ability to really raise awareness and to invest in and empower role model for others like you by you know pretty forwardly loudly you know transparently mm-hmm. living your life and you know raising awareness around you know, who you are and, and what you're doing in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so part of what I did at NCT was, was lean into that and mm-hmm. invest in some minority-owned companies and also was able to serve on some boards, did some work with the NASDAQ. Uh, the White House picked up uh, the research on the mm-hmm. fact sheet. Some of the recommendations became kind of pervasive in the market. And so I'm proud of that work. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, a, but a lot of what I do to move move the ball forward is just to focus on solving a problem in the world and um, hopefully being a part of the story that other people see themselves living. Mm -hmm. Um, And like I I had that as a kid, I could see myself in the story of my ancestors Mm -hmm. and beyond. Like uh, I don't just look to uh, minorities as role models. Mm -hmm. I I, I see, I see role models in every culture. I think, too often we label our, we limit ourselves to I'm in this box. And so I can mm. only do the things that are in this box. Mm-hmm. Right. But if you think about what we've achieved as humans and you see yourself in that space, you can do a lot. Yeah. Well, it's an that. interesting thing because, you know, I'm I'm kind of like grappling a little bit with this, you know, because you, you know, you're talking about being a human and and really that being kind of the most important common denominator, which I, I agree with. You know, I, I believe that that's kind of where we want to land, right? At the end of the day, it's not about race. It's not about, 
um, anything other than the fact that we're both human beings. We're all human beings. We're all, again, in my belief, coming from that same oneness, right? We're mm-hmm. all the same. Um, but the, the, the reality is that today, that is not how most people think. Yeah. Um, and there's a responsibility to some extent to really uh, lift others up. Absolutely. And to, and, and to really kind of own loudly who you are in the world mm-hmm. and make sure that your voice is a part of um, kind of balancing the playing field. Right. Do you feel that responsibility? That's what I live. That's yeah. what I've, I've worked on for the past 10 years, whether yeah. that was at the council, um, publishing the stories of other entrepreneurs to make mm-hmm. sure we elevated uh, their voice. And, and we talked about the Steve Hightowers and multi-hundred million dollar petroleum companies because mm-hmm. people don't know that, right. that that's here in Ohio. Or Billy Vickers with um, his manufacturing company, mm-hmm. hundreds of millions of dollars of work mm-hmm. with Honda right in our backyard. It's so important to elevate those stories. Mm-hmm. And uh, then in, in venture, um, publishing research nationally and mentoring other minority entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. And in the room, when you're in the seat and you can speak up, I speak up. Mm-hmm. So like mm-hmm. being in the room, whether you have a vote or not on the investment committee saying, I believe in this, mm-hmm. challenging the partners, like pushing the envelope to, to make an investment mm-hmm. in somebody mm-hmm. and then following up and rooting for them along the way. And, mm-hmm. And so, absolutely, I believe there is a responsibility yeah. to give back through action mm-hmm. and results. Yeah. And so, a lot of uh, what I what I like to invest in is more pushing the ball forward through research, telling mm-hmm. stories, but then also investing like, or getting people to to receive investments mm-hmm. and then mentoring them afterwards. Well, and you're also now role modeling what it's like to be successful on a number of levels. Right, you 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 end up making the jump out of venture, mm-hmm. right? So, I want to talk a little bit about that. But you're you're now a a, a founder of a company, right? A venture backed company, mm-hmm. and and um, that by itself, like one of the best ways that you can actually make a difference is making sure your yeah. your venture is successful. Yeah, absolutely. Right? And that'll create all that'll kinds create, of opportunities. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about kind of what it was like for you to make that jump. You know, you've mm-hmm. you've um, been, you know, you're at NCT, you're investing in companies, you're kind of, you know, in it from that standpoint. Now mm-hmm. all of a sudden, you know, there's something there and we could maybe yeah. kind of circle back around to our meeting and mm-hmm. uh, just kind of talk talk me through that part of of the journey. Yeah, yeah. So I was really enjoying venture. I had wind behind my sails and uh, was starting to join boards, which was um, unusual for somebody so young in venture. And that that came not because I was asking to. It was because I was making myself useful, so useful to entrepreneurs that they asked for me to join their board. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so you really just lean into your craft. You got to dive deep and build expertise. And that will open up the next step. And so then I'm um, um, being given the opportunity to, to become a partner, and a venture partner. And I expected to lean into the next fund and help raise that. And raised a couple million for the previous one. I built relationships and more knowledge for this time around. And I was excited to grow that journey with the group we, we had there. 
And the universe had different plans. <laughs> <laughs> so what happens? Oh, yeah. Uh, so I'm just, I'm diving into three market landscapes. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm obsessed with smart cities mm-hmm. because, um, one, architecture just fascinates me. Mm-hmm. But also, we, uh, I love data. And um, we are now a majority urban community as, as a species. And mm-hmm. that's new. Mm-hmm. And that's going to create all kinds of problems. And um, that creates all kinds of opportunities for a VC mm-hmm. to invest in. And so we launched the Smart City Accelerator, which I led. And so I'm diving in on that landscape. What problems are being solved, uh, caused or created by urbanization? And how do we solve them? And then have made an investment in some fintech companies. And um, so I was diving into financial services and new technology infrastructure and um, banking as a service platforms and the opportunities those create, blockchain technologies and opportunities those create. And then I was obsessed with property technology because there was this whole shift in how, um, how real estate development was being done in this country mm-hmm. and uh, with, with the growth of multifamily asset class. And, I, and so I was, I was working on these as I turned 30. And um, I was living one of the problems I saw in the market. I was 30, I was a BC, but I was struggling to save money for a down payment. Mm-hmm. And now you read it in the Wall Street Journal that people with a six-figure income are struggling to become homeowners. By the time, people are like, that's crazy. Like, how is that even a problem? But I'm like, no, like, this is a problem for everybody. Like, People like millennials are half as likely to be homeowners as they were 30, 40 years ago. And there's going to be all kinds of problems that emerge from that. And there's also opportunities. So there's this hole in the market. And I was like, we call it rent to earn. It's going to be an evolution of rent to own. That's Mm -hmm. technology enabled. And I was starting to become obsessed with that and wanting to research it, building an investment thesis, we call it. Um, and one day I just so happened to be irritating my dad as he was on the phone. <laughs> I was in the living room and we're in a small apartment. My partner, Ian, was um, cooking dinner and, and I'm just ranting to my dad. I'm like, this renter arm market is going to be great. I don't want to buy a property right now. I don't know if I'm going to stay in Columbus. Mm-hmm. The math doesn't work. And somebody's got to solve this problem. And my dad's like, why don't you? And mm-hmm. I was like, that's ridiculous. I'm going to solve it. By finding a company to invest in. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I'm just going to look up synonyms for the word home. Mm-hmm. And he, he's like, um, abode. And he gets a few in and he says, roost. Mm-hmm. And so, caveat, our legal name at Rove is Roost Enterprises, Inc. Mm-hmm. So, my dad says, roost. And I look at Ian. Ian looks at me. And I about hop from the living room to the kitchen. And we just hug, mm-hmm. jump up and down, mm-hmm. and celebrate this name, which mm-hmm. is so weird. Because when we got done, I just look at him like, what the fuck are we celebrating? Mm-hmm. We were celebrating that there was a name for this problem mm-hmm. space. Mm-hmm. And I just felt this rush of energy and inspiration mm-hmm. and wrote it down. And uh, that was the, the origin moment mm-hmm. where there's going to be companies that create opportunities for new arrangements in real estate and mm-hmm. finance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. So my kind of parallel story you know, for, I, I'm not sure how much of this 
you and I have ever talked about, but um, I think you have the general kind of story. But my parallel story is in the kind of late 90s, early 2000s, I was watching the kind of internet boom mm-hmm. and I had been in the banking side of things and then was working in the operational side of the real estate um, management business, really mm-hmm. just getting into development, but was kind of managing a portfolio of real estate. And and the marketers would come through. The advertising companies would come through, the books in particular. Mm-hmm. You know, that's how people would rent. Uh, I think they still do to some degree. <laughs> I, I don't know. They used to, have, like that was the primary way you would rent an apartment was this horribly thick book that oh, sat yeah. on a stand at a grocery store, oh, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And they would come in and, and and they started to say, if you rent the, if you buy the front cover of the book um, or these inserts that, you know, kind of jump out at you as you're scrolling through, we'll give you a free internet listing. And I was like, I all I want is the internet listing. Right. Why is that the free part, right? Yeah. And there was this kind of emergence of simple business ideas mm-hmm. but some of them turned out to be pretty massive and they mm-hmm. were they were right there in front of me and i i saw them kind of like you saw roost mm-hmm. you know there were domain names i mean mm-hmm. unlimited oh, yeah. abilities to, uh, 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 unlimited amounts of right. opportunities to buy domain names and i did not have the resources not just the capital i didn't mm-hmm. have money but i didn't have the confidence mm-hmm. i didn't have the courage i didn't have the capabilities to take advantage of things that were really clear to me. And it Mm. really was a lot about confidence and courage because I knew damn well those things were going to work, but yet I still didn't have the confidence to do it. Anyway, fast forward to a couple of years ago, I'm sitting in a a couple of back-to-back conferences Mm -hmm. where blockchain is really being kind Mm -hmm. of... Um, elevated as as the theme of of the conference, one in Boston, and then I was out in um, Los Angeles for the mm-hmm. Abundance 360 conference. And when I got back, I said, "I'm not letting this miss again." Mm-hmm. There's an opportunity. There's a technology. Mm-hmm. There's an emergence of this industry, an evolution of of the real estate industry, which mm-hmm. is which is generally very antiquated. Mm-hmm. And um, I said. To Mike, shot, yeah. you know, when I got back home, I got to figure out how to do something with this. Uh-huh. Who, who do we know? You know? <laughs> and so that's I, that's my uh, recollection yeah. of how you and I had yeah. that first meeting. Mike is an incredible friend. He's yeah. he's he's awesome. Yeah, he he introduced us. Yeah, and it was right. It was right at that time. Um, I was just starting to explore this opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, and similar to your story. There's many times that I didn't lean in all the way. Mm-hmm. And I made up my mind before. It's funny because I always write things down. Mm-hmm. So I decided in 2017 that the next time I saw something clear, I was going to see it through. Mm-hmm. And the first week of January, I made my New Year's grid. And you know Michael DeSantis. Mm-hmm. I had breakfast with him when I was in college. Mm-hmm. I was fortunate. I met him at an event, asked mm-hmm. him to breakfast, and he said yes. And it was around New Year's. He's like, I always make this grid every New Year's. And it's four boxes. One box is personal financial. One's personal non-financial. One's professional financial. One's professional non-financial. Mm-hmm. And that year, the first week of 2018, I wrote in my personal non-financial goal was the next idea, see it through, roost. Mm-hmm. And so 
I just had to do it now, mm-hmm. right? So I had to follow it wherever it led me mm-hmm. uh, in spite of my own resistance mm-hmm. to leaning into it. Yeah. And so Mike and I had drinks one day. A mutual friend of ours just said, oh, Mike, you know him? He's, he's working with Carpenter Belt. He'll mm-hmm. love to hear about your vision for what's going to happen in real estate. Mm-hmm. So we're just having a drink and Mike's like, oh, Brett's going to love this. Mm-hmm. And so then he introduces us. Mm-hmm. And I remember sitting in your office, mm-hmm. a very comfortable space. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm explaining, oh, there's this industry that's going to emerge. Mm-hmm. There's all this technology happening. And <laughs> um, I know a few people. I know some software engineers. Mm-hmm. And if we don't find an investment, mm-hmm. we can form the company. And within 10 minutes, you don't say much. You're like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then you're like, okay, so... I'm going to take a chance on you today. Uh, I really, I'm feeling the energy (laughs) Mm -hmm. and I I, want to just lean into this. And you said, if you quit, (laughs) I'll invest in the company, Mm -hmm. open up my office and and resources and team, and we can launch this together. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Brett, I'm about to be a venture capitalist. (laughs) I'm about to be a partner in a venture fund. Yeah. And for those who don't know how that operates, yeah, uh, when you're a VC, you raise funds. They yeah. have a 10-year life. Yeah. And you get management fees. And when you're a partner, you're written into the business. They yeah. can't fire you if they wanted to. Right. And you have guaranteed income for years. Yeah. Right? Coming from where I came from. It's a long uh, way from the Apple store. It's a long way from the Apple store, yeah. right? And it, not having a bet. Right. But I remember you said, you know, I just can feel the energy. And so I'm like, man, he's speaking my language. Mm-hmm. Universe, why are you disrupting my plans mm-hmm. today? Mm-hmm. And you're like, and I was like, well, why don't we find an entrepreneur? Mm-hmm. We'll invest. I'll be on the board. Mm-hmm. I'll be an executive chairman. You're like, no, mm-hmm. this is your passion. You've got to be the one to do it or I'm out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a really, it's, it's a, it's a, it was a, Wonderful moment for me too, because I'll never forget. I was sitting on my couch at home on a Saturday, and you called or texted me. I can't remember. You called me, mm-hmm. yeah, and you said, um, "I've been thinking about it since we met, and I'm going to do it. I'm going to leave." I'm maybe you had already talked to you had already told them you were going. Yeah. I mean, you 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 didn't take long to make the jump. And I wasn't really trying to get you to jump. I just believed that you were the right person to do this. And if you were willing to take the jump, then you would see it all the way through. That it, it needed somebody that had that kind of belief. And, and it was really moving for me that you were willing to do that, that you shared the belief that I had that you know, this could really be something and so much so that, you know, in the face of everything. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm just even kind of touched, you know, thinking about, you know, what you were saying about breakups, you know, and the way that you as this four-year-old learn, make plans, work hard, be in action, you know, go take one step at a time, go with what shows up, that when things are blowing up, breaking up, that it's for a good reason. You know, your whole life, you know, has really served you to this point with all the ups and downs, all the challenges. I mean, I think you kind of, you know, maybe even um, smooth it over a little to some degree, right? It's normal for you. But, you know, there's that's really challenging stuff that you've been through 
to, to um, make that kind of a jump um, and let it all serve you is pretty, is pretty inspiring. I, I appreciate that. And I, and I appreciated that moment in the office, like to, to open yourself up to me in that way was, was really helpful. It was what I needed to hear in the mm-hmm. moment. Cause there's this voice in the back of your head. That's like, this is what you need to do. Yeah. And what you said really resonated with me. Mm-hmm. It, it, you were right. Mm-hmm. When I, I couldn't sleep that night that mm-hmm. week because when I woke up, this is what I, the problem I wanted to work on. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't leaning into it fully because I wasn't ready for the breakup. Yeah. It's hard to yeah. leave what you're doing. Yeah. And I, I just needed some support, yeah. you know, in the universe. Yeah. And it was a, it was a time where I was kind of learning how to do that. I had been kind of incorporating a number of things in my life that were really getting me to see kind of the universe at work and letting go and trusting and taking leaps of faith and, and learning how to really, um, have other people, uh, kind of make things happen. You know, I'm, I'm kind of best in this high level visionary idea, connect the dot kind of thing, support other people instead of like, okay, I'm going to make this thing happen. It's like, no, I got to find somebody that really will, you know, mm-hmm. that knows how to do that, that wants to do that. And, and, you know, you showed up and, and, and Mike showed up and I mean, it all seemed to kind of really unfold. Even, you know, me having Mike in our company was not something that I had ever done before. He was like a utility player. I didn't really know mm-hmm. how we were going to, you know, work together, what he would do, but I took a leap of faith on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he turns out to bring me, you to me. And, you know, it, it just kind of all yeah. feels like you described, you know, the river flowing. Right. Yeah. Right. And it's awesome. And, and, and um, it's been, it's been really fun for me to watch you grow. And we were talking a little bit about uh, kind of where things are. Why don't you kind of just elaborate a little bit in our kind of final time here on, mm-hmm. on Rove and how's it's, how it's going and, and share with the audience, you know, what you're up to. Yeah. I should probably mention like what Rove does. What Rove does. We've spent <laughs> yeah, a lot of time yeah, talking yeah. about the rest of, yeah, of it. Yeah. But, so you know, let's talk about Rove. Our, our mission really is to expand access and opportunity for everyone to, to own in their community. And our, our current product, um, anybody can download our app and you, you save, you get closing credits, you get cash back on your rent. At a high level, um, you get 10% of your rent back towards buying a home. And how that works is um, 8% of it per month is in the form of closing credits. So when you're the, ready to buy a home, if you do that with our partners, it reduces your cost to close. And if you continue living with your rental property in that journey, they, they contribute to your savings. And so you're able to earn 2.5% cash back on rent. The longer you stay at a property, the more you earn. So it's really a win-win for the property owner. There are, and a biggest learning for me in this space is there are many, many developers kind of like you who see themselves as more than rent collectors. They're really building communities and places for people to come together. And um, they're interested in investing in people, especially when it helps their bottom line. Mm-hmm. It helps reduce turnover. And instead of paying those listings aggregators that you mentioned earlier, apartments.com, many of those became big companies, right? Mm-hmm. And property owners are used to paying those big companies. But the way the market's going, owners are able to pay the renter directly and have a closer alignment with 
their core customer. And so um, we really align those things. And in the future, there's going to be this gradient experience between renting and owning, where the more time and capital you invest into a space, the more you'll be able to get out of that space. And so our current rental product is a way for people to get cash back and um, contribute to their savings towards homeownership when they live at a property. And the next evolution will be um, the ability for them to own a stake in the building, mm. to be able to invest, um, to put $100 in and get cash back and participate in the upside. Mm. Um, and so we're going to be doing some pretty incredible things. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, what I, what I was passionate about, you know, at the beginning of this and, and really is what drives me in everything that I do and what gravity is about and Kaufman development and, and really at the core of all of our startups and investments is how are we making the human experience a better one? And how are we solving problems? Mm-hmm. Not just any problems, but problems that are really going to enhance the human experience. And there was and is, as, as you've experienced, as you've shared with me that your parents have experienced generationally, but it's probably worse now today than ever, where it is so hard to get on top of your housing expense mm-hmm. and create some equity and really have some ownership. And um, that's a real problem. And it's, and it's gotten worse, not better. And, um, you know, Rove is, I believe, an important part of trying to tackle that problem and create a better human experience. And so um, I'm, I'm really excited to see you uh, seeing it through Thanks. and uh, to partner here with you at Gravity yeah. and uh, to be a, a bit of a, a small role in, in kind of what you've done. Small role. Gravity was the first to take the leap, mm-hmm. right? And so this, this community ha- has lived your vision. It's, it's not just the architecture and the walls, right? Or the programming or the podcast. All those are innovations in, in and of themselves. But you're also experimenting um, through Rove in ways that now has resonated in this community. Like there are people all across the country who reach out now um, to get what we're offering. And in Columbus, what we did, what we launched last year is now um, available in most neighborhoods. Mm. Um, and just wait till we launch the next iteration. It's yeah. going to be groundbreaking. Yeah. Yeah. No, and, 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 and I know that to be true. And I think there's so much runway for what you are doing. There's a, a number of iterations that are coming and will continue to come. And, um, you know, there's still a massive problem. And I'm, I'm thrilled to hear that people all over are recognizing it, wanting to be a part of it. You know, I think what's interesting for me to observe, and, and it's a great, great thing, is that we want to tackle the problem. I don't need to be the only person tackling that problem. Mm-hmm. But people are now seeing that mm-hmm. this is good for business, right? right? They're, they're not just interested in, in making human beings better, mm-hmm. which, which would be nice if that was all it right. was, right? But they're actually seeing, I'm guessing that a lot of them are calling you because they're, they're wanting the same yeah. competitive advantage for their business. Right. That, that the renter cares about who they're renting from right. and what their belief system yes. is. Yeah, it's a, it's a real shift. Yeah. And they're like, why aren't you investing in 
and me. I'm like the renters are the people who give the place life and yeah. value. Yeah. Why this is an opportunity to to not just pay listings companies. And yeah. when you pay apartments.com and apartment list, they pay Google. And all you're doing is just paying for advertising. Yeah. Right. And the the user, the humans who live in society, who make our communities thrive, aren't getting enough value. Right. And so absolutely, this is a way to pay your core customer lower acquisition costs and turnover. Because property owners at the end of the day are business owners. Mm-hmm. Right. So they're not going to do anything that isn't good for business. But there are some people who are trying to do more than just what's good for business. No question. And when they find that, that was a big learning for me. I was really surprised when people would read about us mm-hmm. and call and come to our website, property owners. When, in fact, two years ago, when I was pitching this idea, other than you, mm-hmm. um, a lot of people said, oh, that'll never happen. Property mm-hmm. owners will never do this. Mm-hmm. What are you talking mm-hmm. about? And to see it be adopted so quickly in a market, yeah. I was curious. And owners in the meeting would say, they'd get through it, would talk about how it works, and they'd be like, they'd, they'd offer up a few properties they want to do it in. Then they'd say, so why should I do it? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, they already bought into it. Why yeah. are they, they? The next part was the business mm-hmm. was, uh, was explaining how it makes business sense. But they had already bought into living their values as a community builder. Yeah, well, one thing that I think really helps make this happen is when one person, one group stands up and says, hey, this is good, mm-hmm. right? You can do well and do good, right? right? And, and I think that's really what you have, um, what you're doing. And I think that's what you have the ability to continue to do just to kind of come back, you know, to the minority piece of it. I know you, you, you know, you want to focus on the human experience in the business, and I think you should. But I also think that you standing up and being who you are in that world is also making a pretty damn big difference and will continue to make a big difference for many, many other people. So anyway, I'm proud of you. Thank um, you. I don't know if that's fair to say, but I am. <laughs> I, I feel pride uh, in in being involved with with you in particular um, as a human being and with what Rove is doing. And it's funny, we were talking a little bit about kind of, you know, jumping from venture into being an entrepreneur Mm -hmm. and and you were telling me how, you know, you can't imagine doing anything else. Well, and I think, you know, a little bit about kind of my experience with Rove is, led me to maybe go back the other way. <laughs> I'm now dabbling in venture. Oh, so, yeah. you know, it's it's all kind of happening and mm-hmm. and uh and, and we're we're helping each other, you know, along this journey. And I appreciate you sharing Thank your you. journey with with um me and the audience today. I think it's really powerful and helpful for people to hear. I appreciate full story. So thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. Final thoughts, plugs, anything you want to put out there? I just one. I just want to thank you again. I appreciate you, and it's been an incredible partnership and friendship. I've learned a lot along the way, and I'm looking forward to continuing that journey. and And I appreciate the time and and the listeners for for hearing my story. And I think it's it's just a really great time to to be alive. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm pretty accessible. So if, if my story resonates. 
find me on LinkedIn or reach out, Calvin at Rome.com. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite things to do is sit down with an entrepreneur, especially if they're minority or mm-hmm. LGBT or underrepresented. So um, I just want to make myself accessible to you and, and thank you. Yeah, sure. Uh, buy him breakfast, buy him lunch. Right? <laughs> it got him this far. So yeah, thanks, Calvin. Appreciate thank you. It. All right. Thank you for listening to the Gravity Podcast. Please subscribe to the show at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more about the entire Gravity Project, please go to gravityproject.com. Please check out the podcast on Instagram at The Gravity Podcast. Music heard of the show is provided courtesy of Kyle Lamoro and Oliver Oak. 